Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Here's Pastor Mike with the message, Covert Corruption, Part 2. All right, so right in the middle of his second letter to the Christian community, Peter sounds this really loud alarm about false teachers. And as I was preparing for the message this week, and I'm thinking about this alarm, right, it made me think of the sirens that we hear every so often here in the eastern part of Port St. Lucie. You see, every few months, those of us who live within a 10-mile radius of the St. Lucie nuclear power plant uh, hear the blaring sounds of sirens. So if it's the first Thursday of March or June or September or December, then we know that the local officials, they're just testing the emergency response system and there's really no need uh, for concern. I'm wondering by raising your hand, how many of you guys heard the sirens uh, just this past Thursday? Did you hear it? It's kind of eerie, isn't it? I mean, you're there and you're working and all of a sudden you hear this and you're like, are the Chinese bombing Port St. Lucie? What is going on, right? And so even though the sirens are loud and even though they're long, they're actually kind of encouraging to me because I know that FPL is just looking out for the safety of our community. Well, again, Peter sounds a very loud alarm in chapter two of his letter. And even though his alarm is loud and long, I mean, Peter lets false teachers have it. And by the way, when you read chapter two, it's kind of eerie. When you read how he describes these false teachers, it's kind of unsettling, right? But I just wanna publicly thank God for apostles like Peter who are willing to sound the alarm. Here's why, because they're just looking out for the safety of the Christian community. And sometimes you just gotta tell it like it is, kind of smack people right in the face, so to speak, to wake up so you don't get duped by these false teachers. Because Peter didn't want the church to be deceived, he devotes a very long section in his little letter to this one topic, and we're gonna go and look at the second half of that section, the second half of chapter two today. Before we jump into our text, I just wanna say that the reason false teachers are so deceiving is because, ladies and gentlemen, they really look like the real thing. They look like the real thing. Now, regarding this, Chuck Swindoll, which, by the way, today I'm gonna to give you a number of names of solid, proven Bible teachers. Chuck Swindoll teaching the Bible soundly now for decades, and um, he says this. False teachers appear for a time to be authentic, but are, in fact, like, what kind of bills? See that? Counterfeit bills. Amidst a pocketful of the real thing, they can pass themselves off as true Christians for a while, but eventually their words and their deeds give them away. They're like counterfeit bills. If a thief wants to steal from Walmart, the thief is not gonna go down to the dollar store, buy a piece of construction paper, cut that construction paper into the shape of a $5 bill, take a crayon and write the number five in the four corners and then try to draw Abraham Lincoln's face in the middle. Like here, Miss Cashier, right? That guy would be laughed out of the store. 
No, if a thief wants to steal from Walmart, what that guy or gal is gonna do is they're gonna use counterfeit cash because it looks like the real thing. Believe it or not, that is a fake $5 bill. It looks genuine, but it's actually counterfeit. And false teachers are the same, right? They look genuine, but eventually they show their true colors. Eventually you find out these guys, these gals, they're actually fake, all right? And so how in the world can we figure this out? How in the world can we detect a counterfeit teacher? And the answer to that question is the same way the experts can detect counterfeit money. In order to distinguish the fake from the real, here's what the experts do. They take the suspect bill and they put it side by side with the real cash and they study it and they're not looking for similarities, they're actually looking for differences. And if you keep looking at it, eventually you'll see this thing is fake. Well, as Christians, we're called to do the same thing, right? In order for us to distinguish the fake from the real, what we do is we compare the two. We compare the suspect's teacher's lifestyle, and we compare the suspect teacher's teaching, and we put it alongside of the genuine word of God. And we look, and we study, and we don't look for similarities, we look for differences. And after a while, it's like, hey, this lifestyle is not lining up with the word of God. Hey, this teaching is not lining up with the word of God. And some people say, well, that, that sounds kind of critical to me. That's, that sounds kind of intolerant. Well, do you remember from last week that 2,000 years ago, churches were allowing false teachers to spew their junk, and they were just accepting it. And Peter says, stop. You're not supposed to be tolerant when it comes to false teachers and false teachings. And so the more we know the truth of this book, the less likely we're gonna be fooled by counterfeits. All right, so last week, as uncomfortable as it was, as eerie as it was, as Peter sounding the alarm, we went verse by verse, and we talked about difficult subjects like the fallen angels, like the ancient world, like Sodom and Gomorrah and all the sexual perversity. Why did you do that, Pastor? Because I'm just going verse by verse, and that's what it said. And so we don't skip anything, we teach it. And so now we see that because God um, rescued Lot from Sodom, and by the way, quick side note, I know it's not in the notes, but I, I really believe and I have strongly believed since I was about 18 years old, um, I really believe for all of these long, long years that one day God is gonna pour out his wrath in, on this world. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just throw this in? This is, this is the benefit of 1130. You guys can get, get some side stuff, right? And so here's some side stuff that's not in the notes. It's not our job as a church to make the world a better place, to bring the kingdom in. It's not our job. The world is getting worse and worse, and one day this world's gonna be judged, and before the world's judged, God is going to bring out, like Lot, out of Sodom, he's gonna rescue out his bride, the church. It's called the rapture. It's our job, yeah, we can thank God for that. And it's our job to win as many people as possible so they can go up with us, all right? And so back to what I was saying earlier, just like God rescued Lot out of Sodom, now please look at verse nine of chapter two. 
The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion, and note this, despise authority. So false teachers, they despise authority. They don't wanna be under accountability. They're bold, as we continue on in verse 10, they're bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. I know it's kind of confusing, I'll explain it in a moment, but all this leads us to your first point, if you're taking notes this morning, and that is that counterfeit teachers, number one, despise authority. They despise authority. Now Peter's talking about the fact that they despise authority, he's talking about how they blaspheme the glorious ones, um, I hope that it kind of reminds you, those of you who were with us last year, of our verse-by-verse -verse study through the little fiery letter of Jude, because Jude uses the same language. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but I will read to you Jude verse eight and nine. Jude says, like Peter, yet in like manner, talking about false teachers, these people also relying on their dreams, right, a lot of times you hear false teachers and they're talking about, oh, I had this dream from God and it contradicts the Bible. Hey, throw out the dream, stay with the word. Relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh. Here it is, they reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. Same exact words as Peter. But Jude does a little favor for us. He kind of gives us a little more insight. And that's in verse nine. But when the archangel, Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he, Michael, by the way, I love that name, he, Michael, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment to Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. All right, and so like Jude, Peter tells us that false teachers, quote unquote, despise authority, and false teachers, quote unquote, blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, if you have the New American Standard Bible, which by the way is an excellent translation of the Greek New Testament, the NASB, we use ESV, which is also an excellent translation, but the NASB, at the end of verse 10, takes the Greek term that the ESV calls glorious ones, and those scholars translated it as angelic majesties. I like that, right? It makes you think that just like in the holy angel realm, there is, there's order, right, and authority, so the same is true in the unholy angel realm. It makes you think about Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Okay, so your fight is not with your wife or your husband or your neighbor or your kids. It's not with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against, listen to this, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly 
places, okay? And so the false teachers in Peter's day, they were reviling, rebuking angelic majesties. Listen, specifically fallen angelic majesties or demonic entities. Jude and Peter were saying, if holy angels refuse to revile and rebuke unholy angels, like Michael in disputing over the body of Moses, refused to rebuke and revile Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, so if holy angels have that standard, why in the world are false teachers engaging in that conduct? Why in the world are they despising authority and why in the world are they reviling angelic majesties? Why are they rebuking and reviling demonic spirits? I'm gonna give you the name of another very solid Bible teacher, David Guzik, fellow Calvary Chapel guy. He said, much of what goes on under the name of spiritual warfare shows this kind of pride and presumption. While we recognize our authority in Jesus, we see that it is only in Jesus that we have that authority. And we, get this, leave the reviling accusations to him alone. Okay, in other words, this is above our pay grade. So Michael, just like Michael said, the Lord rebuke you, devil, uh, we need to do the same thing. And yet, we see the opposite in some churches. This is what some people are doing here. And as they're doing this, right, you'll wonder, do they really think they have personal authority in these matters as they revile and they rebuke spirit beings? So if I'm not being clear enough, let me be as clear as I can be, right? I believe the practice of directly speaking to Satan in prayer to rebuke or bind him is way off base. We don't do that. Please don't do that here in this local church. If you want to read about um, this sort of thing, I recommend these articles. Here's another great, solid resource that you can have for your Bible and theological questions, and that is gotquestions.org. We're going to leave it up for about a minute in case you want to take a picture, but if you come out of a church background, and by the way, I'm not saying that everybody who engages in this kind of stuff is a wolf. How many of you guys know that Christians sometimes get off into false teachings? Okay, so I'm just giving you this so we can be aware and be careful. So what is warfare prayer that a lot of churches are engaging in these days? What is binding and loosing? What is spiritual mapping? What does it mean when these people talk about binding the strong man. All those articles are available. I love this resource because it shortens my sermons because you guys can just go back and do the work yourself. Okay, and so, hey, the demonic realm is real. So we need to be careful that our thinking about spiritual warfare is solely and completely and only based on the clear teaching of the word of God, not some weird man-made teaching. And so if false teachers revile authorities in the heavenlies, here's what we know. They also revile authorities on earth. Why? Because they're proud, they're arrogant, they don't want to be accountable, and that's the kind of spirit they have. You and I, as genuine Christians, got to be different. What does that mean? That means that the one and only heavenly authority that we submit to is our Lord Jesus Christ, but we also are called by Christ 
as Christians to submit to legitimate earthly authorities. That means that if we're citizens, we have to submit to the government. And I know the red-blooded rebel American spirit, right, comes out, I'm not gonna submit to the government, you know? But, but listen, that's what God tells us, that's, that's what God commands us to do in Romans chapter 13, one and following. Now, I get it, and I've taught it, if the government ever tells us as Christians to do something that contradicts the word of God, we obey God, not man. I get that, I teach that, but listen, if they're not calling us to do something that contradicts the scriptures, we have to, on God's word, submit to the governing authorities. And that's not just in Romans 13, it's in other places in the Bible as well, but also, kids, you gotta submit to your parents. Moms and dads, please stop trying to be your kid's friend. You're their parent first, then you're their friend. You're not doing your kid any, here's another 11.30 freebie. You're not giving your kids, you're not doing your kids any favor by trying first and foremost to be their friend because they're gonna grow up a big rebel and you're, gonna, you're not making them, number one, employable because they're gonna go off and they're gonna rebel against their boss because they rebelled against you and they're gonna lose their job. You're not helping them at all. And so don't be, be their friend, but be their parent first. Listen, demand that they obey you. They're your kids. It's your responsibility as parents. <laughs> Ephesians 6, one through four. If you're an employee, you gotta submit to your boss. Ephesians 6, five through eight. And if you're a Christian, you gotta find a local church, whether it's this one or another one that teaches the Bible and exalts the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But you gotta find a local church where you put your roots down and then if that's your local church, the Bible says you gotta submit to your pastors and elders. I know it sounds self-serving, but Hebrews 13, seven and Hebrews 13, 17, we have to obey our pastors and elders. And by the way, I'm under, I'm under accountability as well. Verse 12. He says, but these false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, I know it's loud, I know it's eerie, I know Peter's like really strong here, he's doing this for our good. He says they're irrational animals, they're creatures of instinct, they're born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as a wage for their wrongdoing. And look at this. They count it pleasure to revel in the, not just nighttime, but daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast. Most scholars say that's, they're, they're infiltrating the church, so inf infiltrating the agape feasts while they feast with you. All right, so all those words that Peter shares leads you to your second point there, and that is that counterfeit teachers not only despise authority, but they also live on a base level, a base level. He calls them out, he calls the false teachers irrational animals who are living by instinct. Okay, so as human beings, ladies and gentlemen, we have been made in the image of God. And so we're called to live on a higher plane. We're called to live on a higher level where, 
you know, we are rational, moral, uh, principled people. We're supposed to live up here, not down here like animals. And so what are animals? Animals are subject to live on a lower plane. They're subject to live by their, follow their base instincts. Okay, so you say, what does that mean? What does it mean to live by your base instincts? Well, what does a dog like to do? Just think of that. Dogs like to eat, sleep, bark, and mate. Okay, so let's, let's, let's pick this apart. Regarding food, dogs don't really care where it comes from. They're willing to eat anything and everything. They're not examining food to see how clean it is, how nutritious is this food. The dog never asks himself, how many calories are in this, right? They don't care if it's in their bowl, if it's off the, um, in the gutter somewhere, right? Or out of a garbage can, they don't care. If they see it, they're gonna gobble it up. That's what dogs do, base instincts. Not only that, regarding sleeping, I read this week that dogs average, get this, between 12 and 14 hours a day. Yes, your dog is lazy at home. Some dogs sleep a lot longer. I read some dogs sleep 18 hours a day. So what does that mean? Base instincts, they love a life of ease and comfort. Regarding barking, dogs are prone to bark and bite anybody who comes around. Whether they're harmless or whether they're evil, good or bad, they don't care. Whether you're a jogger out jogging like me a while back and I'm running down the road because I love to run and I look and here comes, this is what I don't like, a dog chasing me. I can't outrun the dog. And guess what he does? He bites my leg. My heart rate's already up. Now it's like through my chest. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, keep your animals on a leash, please. But this is what they do. They don't, they, that dog didn't care that I was a pastor. I'm gonna bite that guy. Why? Base instincts. That's just what they do. Regarding mating, how I many of you guys know dogs are not monogamous? Mr. Dog doesn't look at Mrs. Dog and say, babe, I love you and you only forever. This is it. No, a male dog will mate with any female dog in heat and the more the better, right? Listen, all kidding aside now, Peter says in verse 12, false teachers are like irrational animals and in verse 22, he calls them dogs under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Irrational animals, dogs. So regarding food, false teachers will eat anything, they seemingly fill their minds with anything and everything but the word of God, and what do they do? They teach humanistic philosophies, self-centered ideologies, and crazy cult-like nonsense. And people just gobble it up, right, because he talks so well, he's such a great orator, he makes me feel so good. Regarding sleep, False teachers enjoy a life of comfort and ease, and you can tell, because if you have a discerning ear as you listen to their messages, either they're not teaching the word of God at all, but they definitely are not putting in the hard work of disciplined biblical study because they're mishandling the word of truth. Regarding barking and biting, false teachers have no qualms about attacking God's people. They have no qualms about attacking conservative evangelical Christians. 
They have no problem right, attacking people like you and I who believe in the true Jesus of the New Testament, who believe that God's word is actually the Bible, that he breathed it out in the original manuscripts. He, they have no problem attacking people like us who call people to repent in faith. I read this week about a certain bishop in a certain denomination, and he said, people don't need to be born again, they just need to grow up. That's a false teacher. Regarding sexuality, false teachers disregard the biblical mandate that sex is only to be enjoyed in the covenant of marriage. What do false teachers do? More and more, you see it. They're embracing the modern sexual day revolution where almost anything goes and people go from partner to partner to partner to partner. Now, if you're listening to me, say amen. As genuine believers, we have to be different. Instead of acting like dogs, we have to understand our identity as sheep and that the Lord is our shepherd. And if Christ is our shepherd and his word is our guide, then we have to embrace life at a higher plane where we live as rational, moral, principled beings. But you'll never live as a rational, moral, principled being unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you allow the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to help you walk out a holy life. This is the Christian message. This is what we're called to do. And these guys are misrepresenting the Lord and they're damaging a lot of lives. Look at verse 14. He says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. And then Peter says, they're accursed, literally damned children. You say, says that in the Bible? Yep. You just don't hear it very often because a lot of people have abandoned verse by verse teaching and they just want to teach feel good messages. And so if you don't go to verse by verse, you don't see that an apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit actually writes damned children in the Bible. This leads us to our third point, and that is that counterfeit teachers selfishly take advantage of the vulnerable. Peter says they have eyes full of adultery. In other words, when a false teacher comes to a church, one of the first things that he does is he starts scanning the church for vulnerable women. Like for example, a broken wife who's hurting because her husband has been harsh and insensitive. And so what does the wolf do? The wolf puts on his sheep's clothing and he becomes everything that her husband is not in this time frame. And so he becomes a sensitive, attentive, caring man. But what's his motive? Because his heart's a wolf. His motive is to take advantage of her sexually. You say, that happens in churches? Yes. It happens in churches. And we have to be aware. Peter says they take advantage of unsteady souls. You see, shepherds, ladies and gentlemen, true pastors, true shepherds, they're not perfect, but true pastors and shepherds, here's what they do. They guide the sheep. They feed the sheep. They protect the sheep. But wolves eat the sheep to satisfy their own hunger. Okay, it's not that hard to tell the difference. By their fruit, you will know them. But they do entice unsteady souls. John MacArthur, another solid Bible teacher, I can't say I agree with 
of MacArthur, but 95%, absolutely. Decades of faithful Bible teaching, um, John MacArthur said, quote, false teachers do not capture those strong in the word, but prey on the weak, the unstable, and the young in the faith. So if you're unstable in the Christian faith, um, you could fall for a false teacher in the future. If you're unstable in the Christian faith, you could fall for a false teaching in the future. And by the way, as Pastor Andrew said, listen, it's, it's, it's out there, just Google it. There's false teachers everywhere. There's false teachings everywhere. That's why I always say, don't Google your theology. And so if you're unsteady and unstable in the faith, then what could happen is you could actually fall for one of these guys, you could actually fall for their false teaching. You say, what should I do? Listen to me, get strong in the faith. Make it your top priority in life. Tell yourself from now, June, whatever day it is, June 6th, all the way till January 1st, I'm gonna make it my mission in life to get strong in the Christian faith. Just make it a top priority. And then do the work. You say, what should I do? Here's three quick um, um, things you can do. You can go to your knees, you can go to the word, and you can go to the wise. All right, so go to your knees, that's prayer. James 1.5 says, and I quote, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, that's prayer. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him, James 1, 5. I love that because here's the thing. If you go to the Lord and you fall on your knees and you say, God, I need wisdom, God, I need help, here's what he's gonna do. He's not gonna reproach you or find fault. No, like Solomon, he's gonna pour out wisdom on your life because that's kind of a prayer that makes a father happy. My kid wants wisdom, absolutely. But you gotta keep asking it for your whole life, why? Because Solomon, as a young man, asked for and got wisdom. By the, by the time he got an old, to be an old guy, he was really messing up. So keep asking for wisdom your whole life. Go to your knees, go to the word. Now, ex excuse me if I get too excited, but I really love this verse, okay? Acts 17, 11. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all eagerness. It wasn't, oh, I gotta go to church. Oh, man. Oh, the pastor's studying verse by verse. I'd really rather just hear a motivational speech to make me feel good. No, 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 listen. The Bereans, Acts 17, 11, were more noble than those in Thessalonica that they received the word with all eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. All right, so what was going on in Berea? What was going on is that the apostle Paul went to Berea and he went to a group of people like this and he opened up the scriptures. Back then it was a, not leather bound, it was a scroll. And he taught the word of God. And what happened is the people received the word with all eagerness. They were hungry for the word of God. That is a work of God in the heart of a, of a person of God. If you have a hunger for the word of God, you know the spirit of God is working inside of me because your flesh, my flesh, doesn't want the teaching of the word. And yet they received from the apostle Paul with all eagerness the word of God, but then part two, they went home and they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul is saying is true. 
What? He's the apostle Paul. Of course what he's saying is true. But see, hindsight's twenty twenty. We see Paul, chosen by Christ, sees the risen Christ, writes most of the New Testament, at least most of the books in the New Testament, the letters. And of course, we know that Holy Spirit uh, inspired him as he wrote out the word of God. And so, of course, what he said is true. But they didn't know that. So what did they do? They went and checked him out. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, say amen here. If Christians or even potential Christians who weren't Christians yet, if they went and they checked out the Apostle Paul, that means that you and I, I'm sorry, you should be checking out me. If they checked out Paul, you should be checking out me. You should receive the word with all eagerness, but then you should go home and examine the scriptures to make sure what I'm saying is true. Why? Because none of us, me included, are above accountability. We all have to be subject to somebody. We all have to be, all of us have to be subject to the Lord and we all need to be checked up. Why? Because we're human beings and we could fall, we could fail. And so go to your knees, go to the word like the Bereans, but then go to the wise. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so what does that mean? There's a multitude of counselors out there. I give you lots of names and lots of resources every weekend. But there's a multitude of counselors, so get their books, get their resources, go to their websites. If you have a friend who's been walking with the Lord longer than you and knows the word, get with that friend. Go to your knees, go to the word, go to the wise, get strong in the faith, that way you can discern the difference between the genuine and the counterfeit. Verse 15, he says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, now look at Balaam, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Balaam, a religious guy, yep. A prophet, yep, but he was greedy. Verse 16, He was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Okay, so here's your next point. Number four, counterfeit teachers are motivated by greed. So if you're visiting, this is just what we do. We go verse by verse and we pull out of the scriptures points that we can apply to our lives. So they're motivated by greed. Peter uses the example of Balaam. Okay, so Balaam, if you didn't know, Old Testament figure, fascinating Old Testament figure. The problem was he was greedy. Balaam was a guy who was a prophet for hire. He peddled his gift. His story can be found in Numbers chapter 22 and following, but his life can be summed up with this statement right here. Balaam was more concerned about wealth than about the welfare of God's people. Here's the story in a three or four minute nutshell. Balak, the king of Moab, looks out and he sees the children of Israel as far as the eye can see camping in his backyard and the king of Moab is scared to death. What does he do? He calls Balaam and he wants to hire the prophet to come and curse Israel, his enemy. He sends his princes to hire Balaam. 
because Balaam is driven by greed, he jumps on his donkey and he heads over to talk to the king of Moab. Now, I'm not gonna take the time to tell you the whole story about his talking donkey. You can go back and read that yourself. But by the end of the story, Balaam did not curse Israel. By the way, a lot of nations today should learn this lesson. He didn't curse Israel, he blessed Israel. And Balak, the king of Moab, is furious. And Balak, the king of Moab, um, is upset at, at Balaam, but there's no way the Lord would ever let anyone curse his people whom he has blessed. So in an attempt to appease the king and yet still make some money on the side, this is where the story gets dark. The religious guy, the prophet, he decides, you know what, I need to appease the king's anger and I really do wanna get that money and so he goes and he gives some really dark counsel to the officials of Moab. He tells them, hey guys, here's what you do. The whole cursing thing didn't work, but if you will send your beautiful women, the beautiful women of Moab, into the camp of Israel to seduce the men, and you'll tell your women, hey, get the Israelite men to worship Baal, the false god. In Hebrew, it's Baal, but we know it as Americans as Baal, you get them to worship Baal, God will have to judge them. Here's what's sad, Balaam's counsel worked and the men of Israel slept with these women, these beautiful women of Moab and not only that, they worshiped Baal and what did God do? How many of you guys know that God is not like Santa Claus who sits in heaven and winks at us when we sin? It's gonna be okay. No, the wages of sin is what? Death. This is why under the new covenant we are so grateful for Jesus Christ who took the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. Praise God for the substitutionary atonement. But what did God do for these guys? He, he wiped out 24,000 of them in a plague because they committed fornication and because they um, worshiped Baal. Now did Balaam get away with it? No his sin caught up to him. Be sure your sin will find you out. And so later, the soldiers from Israel caught up to Balaam, and they took a sword and they ran him through. And whenever I'm reading through the Bible and I get to this, I always wonder, you know, did Balaam die immediately when he got stabbed or did he kinda lay there for a little while? And if he laid there for a, while, a little while in a pool of his blood, did he look over at the bag of gold that Balak no doubt gave him for his bad counsel and think, was it worth it? as I'm bleeding out, as I'm about to take my last breath, is it worth this money for me to put wealth above the welfare of God's people, for me to give bad counsel, false teaching, to bring down the people of God so I could greedily take money? Is it really worth it? And I'm sure if that happened, Balaam knew it wasn't worth it. Peter said false teachers have followed in the way of Balaam. In other words, false teachers are motivated by greed. They're not in the ministry because of the love of Christ, the love of his word, the love of God's people. They're in the ministry primarily for the money. And some of these guys sadly live lavish, self-indulgent lifestyles of the rich and famous with no accountability. They put wealth above the welfare of God's people. What does that mean? Some of these guys actually alter the word of God. They change the word of God. They teach false things, if they even teach the Bible at all. Why? To gather a bigger crowd for more money. 
And because they put wealth above the welfare of God's people like Balaam, they will be judged. They look like the real thing, but they'll be judged. Look at verse 17. He says, these are waterless springs, mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. I know it's loud, it's eerie, but it's an alarm and we should thank God for Peter. Verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by, look at this, sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. Your fifth and final point, counterfeit teachers, number five, make empty promises, okay? So stay with me to the end here, but Peter calls them waterless springs, okay? And so imagine, you're thirsty, right? You haven't had a glass of water in a long time, and there's a spring. Oh, you're running because you wanna get some cold, cool water, and you get there, and it's dried up. So the spring makes a promise, makes you hopeful, but it leaves you dry and empty. Peter says they're like mists or clouds driven by a storm, same idea. So you're living in an area that's, that's um, uh, experiencing a drought, and you're a farmer, and here comes these black clouds, and they're rolling in, and you're thinking, yay, finally, my shriveled up dying crops are gonna get some water, but guess what? The clouds just blow right by. They never yield any rain. They leave you and your crops dry and empty, and Peter says false teachers are the same way. They use these great swelling words. Again, a lot of these guys, great orators. They make you feel so good. They make all these promises of power and wealth and great relationships and freedom, right? Buy my book and you'll discover the secret of life. But since the Holy Spirit is not in them, and since their messages are not based on the Holy Bible, their promises are empty, they leave us, in the end, dry and empty. It's like, why even listen to them to begin with? Because they appeal to our flesh, that's why. Look at verse 20, what's gonna happen to these guys? For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness. And by the way, it's a head knowledge, not a heart knowledge. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So they're just like Judas, right? Judas is... What an example of a false teacher, a counterfeit, who looks so much like the other apostles, but in the end, he's not real. Verse 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And so regarding who these false teachers really are, Warren Wiersbe, another sound Bible teacher, says, quote, the passage 
gives no indication that the false teachers had ever experienced the new birth. They never trusted Christ and became his sheep. No, instead of being sheep, they were, quote, pigs and, quote, dogs. How do you know? By their fruit, you will know them. So just like a dog always returns to its vomit, right, little rover heaving in your house, you're like, get the dog out of here. And then later on, he's licking up his vomit. I know, I just wanna share that to you guys, with you guys right before lunch, but. <laughs> just like a dog always returns to its vomit, and just like a pig always returns to the mud, false teachers, in the end, are gonna show their true colors. So we gotta be careful. So in closing, if you have any questions about certain teachings, whether they're true or false, again, I can't highly, more highly recommend this website. I mean, can you believe this? They're already up to 653,000 plus questions that are answered. And I, I've been reading this website articles for years and years, very rarely, do I ever read like a sentence and say, I don't know if I really agree with that, but that's very rare. 99% of what I read at this website is super solid, super based on the word. And so type in your question. Like I did, um, for example, this morning, I typed in, what are the mainline denominations? Let's give you a quick example. What are the mainline denominations? An article came up based on the word of God and explained the difference between mainline Protestant denominations and evangelical churches like we're attending right now, and shows you the, the Bible verses. So that's an example of what you can do at gotquestions.org. If you wanna grow stronger in your faith, I wanna recommend um, the book, Another Gospel, by Elisa Childers. How many of you guys have heard of Elisa Childers? Raise your hand if you have, yeah. She's kinda new on the scene, but she's super solid. She's a female apologist, so she used to sing for Zoe Girl, um, back in the day, and she's a wife and a mom, and she's on Frank Turek. Frank Turek is coming here to Calvary in December, and he's an apologist, and he, she, Elisa, is on his team, and she's awesome, really solid, and so in this book, let me ask you this, how many of you guys have heard of progressive Christianity? Raise your hand, please. Not many, but it's coming to a theater near you. It's exploding throughout Christianity. So what she did, thank God, is she calls out progressive Christianity in her book. And she, what does she do? She lines it up with the word of God. And so praise God for people like this in the Christian community that can help us in our faith. That's Elisa Childers, another gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, I know it hasn't been the most comfortable two weeks of messages, but we don't skip anything. We go verse by verse. We sound the alarm, and in the end, it's for our benefit, amen?